thank you for giving us your holy living word, the Bible. We pray for Pastor Joseph, that he will preach your word faithfully. And we pray that we will apply your teaching to our lives so that we can glorify your name. Amen. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that came for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my, so- my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, recently, I found myself rummaging my coin jar, hoping to find a rare gold coin with the portrait of Queen Elizabeth II. Now, these coins uh, with the Queen's portrait will eventually be replaced, and that is because we have a new king. You see, when, the, when Queen Elizabeth II died in September, the throne went immediately 
to the heir, the son Charles. However, there are a few steps that have to take place before Charles is formally crowned king. And the first step is to proclaim Charles as King Charles III. And this has taken place in a small ceremony shortly after the Queen's death. The second step that is involved uh, requires King Charles to declare that he will serve his people and that he will uphold the constitutional government. Again, this has taken place. And then this leaves for the final step to be taken, and that is the coronation. And the date has been set on for May the 6th next year. And at the coronation, uh, you could say that Charles will be exalted. Charles will be glorified as he is crowned and when he will receive the scepter and the orb, symbols of his sovereignty and his authority that is derived from God. Now you may think that I am a monarchist, keeping track of what's happening in the royal family. Well, I, in a sense, I am. Uh, not because I'm a royal fan, but because I think the monarchy helps me to better understand the kingship of Jesus. And also, I'm fascinated by the similarities of the steps involved in the crowning of the British king and the glorification of Jesus that is presented in the passage this morning as we continue our study of John's Gospel. You see, if you go through the passage, you will find, firstly, that Jesus is proclaimed king as he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then secondly, you will, we find Jesus declaring that he, what he as king will do for his people. And thirdly, we will find that Jesus telling us what will happen when he is glorified by God the Father. So let us look at these three steps. The passage begins with verse 12 that reads, The next day, the great crowd that had come from the fest for the festival heard that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. Now, the next day refers to the Sunday of the final week of Jesus' ministry on earth. <clears throat> and this particular Sunday is called Palm Sunday in the church calendar. And Palm Sunday is often referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it is on this day that Jesus is proclaimed king by the people in Jerusalem. And the evening before, you may remember, Jesus was at Bethany at the dinner given in his honor to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus. And as a new day begins, Jesus and his disciples make their way to Jerusalem, which is about three kilometers away. And Jerusalem at this time is crowded, crowded with pilgrims from all over Israel and beyond and they have come in preparation for the celebration of the Passover feast. 
And when the crowd learns that Jesus is coming, they take palm branches and they wait outside of Jerusalem to meet him. And verse 13 tells us that when Jesus arrives, they begin to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now why are the people of Jerusalem doing what they are doing for Jesus? Palm branches, shouts of Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. What is the significance of these? Well, the waving of palm branches, they are actually symbolic of Jewish nationalism. And this practice originated about 130 years earlier when the Jews were under the Greeks. And the Jews at that time, uh, there was a family, uh, the Maccabees family, um, they revolted against the Greeks and they finally drove the Greeks out of Jerusalem. And so as the victorious Jewish army marched into Jerusalem, the people welcomed them with music and with the waving of palm branches. And so the waving of palm branches became symbolic of a military victory over the enemies. What about Hosanna? Hosanna literally means save us. It is a plea to God to save his people. And the word is found in the Psalms of the Old Testament. In fact, the people are actually singing the lyrics of parts of Psalm 118, which calls on God to save his people through the Messiah, the King of Israel. And so now you get a picture. You can see what the people are doing and what they are expecting of Jesus. They want Jesus to be the Messiah who has come to drive out the hated Romans. They want Jesus to be their warrior king to lead Israel into victory over the occupying Roman forces. But Jesus has a different idea. While Jesus acknowledges the rousing welcome of the people, he accepts their proclamation that he is king and messiah. But Jesus wants to show that the, shows the people that he is a totally different kind of king than the one they expect. And so Jesus finds a donkey, a donkey that is a symbol of peace and rides into Jerusalem on it. Now we know that Jesus did not just happen to find a donkey. He had planned for the donkey because in a parallel account of, of Palm Sunday, uh, Luke tells us that before Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he had sent ahead two of his disciples to secure the young donkey. And so in riding the donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus is telling the people, that he is fulfilling what the prophet Zechariah said 500 years earlier, the kind of king the Messiah would be. So verse 15 tells us, uh, verse 15 is a quote from the book of uh, Zechariah. Uh, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So you see, the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah is not a victorious warrior king. 
No. If it was, Jesus would have ridden a war horse into Jerusalem. But the Messiah is a servant king. A king who has come humbly to give his life as a sin bearer. A king who must die on the cross for the sin of his people, to free them from slavery to sin and bring peace between a sinful people and God. And that is why Jesus rides on the donkey, an animal of peace. But of course, the disciples uh, do not understand any of this, not until after Jesus' resurrection. Only then do they realize that Jesus has indeed come to reconcile sinful humans to a holy God through his death. Well, in any case, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem raises even more concern for the Pharisees. The Pharisees can see that on account of Lazarus' resurrection, uh, Jesus' support has grown even larger, and they therefore show their concern. And they say, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is, has gone after him. The whole world has gone after him. Well, in a sense, that is true. Uh, because even Gentiles are asking to see Jesus. Because we are told that among the crowd are some Greeks. Uh, and it is not unusual for uh, for them to be in Jerusalem, for the Greeks, they love to seek the truth. And they have heard about Jesus. And through Philip and Andrew, they ask to speak with Jesus. Now, we are not told whether Jesus agrees to their request, but their request gives Jesus the opportunity to further explain what he, as king, will do for his people. And so in verse 23, uh, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now previously, Jesus had talked about the coming of his, of his hour in the future tense. But now Jesus finally says that his hour has come. And referring himself uh, to himself as the Son of Man, Jesus says the time for him to be glorified has come. So what does Jesus mean? Now you may remember again the Son of Man, the term is taken from the book of Daniel. And we learn that the Son of Man is glorified when the Ancient of Days, and that is the name of God, when the Ancient of Days makes the Son of Man a forever king with all authority and power over the whole world. And so Jesus says that the time has come for him to be, to be made the forever king. Now, if the disciples think that finally Jesus will be made king after a military victory over the Romans, uh, they are quickly corrected of that idea. 
Because the next verse, Jesus equates his glory with his death. So Jesus says in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is telling his disciples that for him to be made king, to be crowned as king, he has to die. And this is indeed a very strange way to be made king. But Jesus uses the analogy of the wheat to explain. And he says, like the grain of wheat that dies and germinates into a plenteous crop, Jesus says his death will bring a harvest of new lives. Because Jesus will not remain dead. He will defeat death and rise again. And in his resurrection, he will bring many people into eternal life. And so death is not a strange way for Jesus to be made king. You see, if we think about it, it is the only way. Because if death brings an end to any sovereign king, it is therefore necessary to defeat death if Jesus is to be crowned the forever king. Right? And so for Jesus, the path to glory is through his suffering and his death. And Jesus says that this is the same path for his disciples who follow him. So the same path to glory for believers in Jesus will also take us through suffering and that we must die to ourselves before we can attain the glory in eternal life. So Jesus puts it this way in verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, it is natural to love our lives. But sadly, we all go about loving our lives in the wrong way. We indulge ourselves, we live our lives in a selfish way, and so we look only to our own interest. We look only to our own comfort and to our own pleasure. And Jesus says that if you live this way only for yourself, you will lose your life. Not that you will die, but you will lose your soul in hell. And this is, this is because you have lived without regard for others and you have lived without regard for God. You wrongly love your life so much that you have little time for God. You ignore Him and you fail to give thanks to God. And you will reap what you sow. You will die without God and if God is the source of all goodness, you will spend eternity in the absence of any goodness. 
And that is what hell is. And that is what Jesus means by saying you will lose your life. However, if you hate your life in this world, Jesus says you will keep your soul for eternal life. Eternal life in a new world that is to come. Now, to hate your life is not to despise your life. Uh, hate here is used as a Hebrew idiom, a Hebrew idiom to contrast a preferential choice. So, if you say that you you, you choose fish over chicken, um, you can say that you love fish and you hate chicken, right? And so, to hate your life in this world means that you do the opposite of loving your life in a self-indulgent way. So, it means that um, instead of living life for yourself, only for yourself, you will live your lives for others. It means you are willing to sacrifice the comforts and the pleasures of this world in order to serve others and to care for others. It means you are generous and you put the interests of others before yours. And it means you don't ignore God. Instead, you put God first in your life and you are always thankful to Him. So in other words, to hate your life in this world is to deny the sinful desires of the heart and to die to your old self. And so instead of serving self, we want to serve others. And we can serve others in many ways. It can be as simple as cooking a meal for another family or babysitting for someone or taking time to befriend a stranger. Or it may mean uprooting and going overseas to bring the gospel to an unreached people. So when we deny ourselves to bless others, we are actually serving Jesus. And of course, when we serve Jesus, uh, we will feel the pain of missing out, and we will have to bear the cost of missing out on the things and the pleasures of this world. And when we miss out on these things, the, uh, our family, our friends may mock us. Our friends may mock us for being foolish. And we may even lose our physical life. But Jesus says, it is all worth it. It is worth it. Because there is reward for us. So look at verse 26. Jesus assures us, um, sorry, Verse 26, Jesus assures us that God will honor the one who serves him. When we serve Jesus, God will honor us. So we will never lose out when we serve Jesus. God will honor us with eternal life. And the Psalms um, 16 says that in his presence there is joy and there is pleasure forevermore. So we will be more than compensated. So we will never lose out when we serve Jesus. And we have the example of Jim Elliot to encourage us. Uh, many of you may know uh, the story of Jim Elliot. After college, he, he could have 
loved his life by living for himself, but he didn't. And he, together with four other missionary friends, they lost their lives trying to bring the gospel to the hostile people in Ecuador. And so you may ask, what drove this young man and these four other friends to give up their lives to serve Jesus? While these words were found in Elliot's uh, journal, um, he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Very powerful words. And I hope we can be driven by the same motivation. But it is never easy to die to self, and it is never easy to give our lives to serve others. Now, even our Lord Jesus find it not easy at all. Verse 27 tells us that even as Jesus looks to his hour, his heart felt uneasy. And he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, we don't expect Jesus to be troubled in his heart, do we? After all, we say that Jesus is God. But let us remember that Jesus is also human. And as a human being, Jesus is horrified, horrified by the thought of going to the cross. And he knows the pain and the agony the cross entails. But he also knows that this is his destiny. And therefore, in humble obedience to the Father's will, Jesus will go to the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in going to the cross, Jesus knows that he will glorify the Father's name. And so Jesus therefore asked God, the Father, to glorify his name. And we are told that there is a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. It's a voice from God the Father. And so this is the third time that we hear God speaking from heaven regarding Jesus. And the first was at Jesus' baptism, um, when, Jesus, when, when God said that he is pleased with Jesus, his son. And the second time uh, was at Jesus' transfiguration, when God said to Peter, John, and James, says, listen to Jesus. And now here, God affirms that Jesus indeed will be glorified. And then Jesus tells his disciples that when he is finally made king through his death and resurrection, there will be three consequences. Look at uh, verses 30 to 32. Uh, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time of judgment on this world. 
Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So when Jesus is finally made king, three things will happen. The first consequence is that judgment will come on this world. You see, the world will think, or the world thinks that the cross is foolishness. But the cross is God's wisdom to grant the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who would believe in Jesus. And those who refuse to believe in Jesus will not be saved. They will be judged. That's the first consequence. The second consequence is that the prince of the world will be defeated and he will be driven out and eventually destroyed. While Satan is the prince of this world and Satan has a grip on humanity through sin and death, but on the cross, Jesus has defeated Satan's grip on humanity. And that is why in the book of Revelation, John tells us believers to overcome the dragon. The dragon is another uh, name for Satan. Um, John tells us to overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. So at the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and we do not need to fear him. We do not need to fear Satan, for he is already a defeated enemy. And the third consequence is that the resurrected and the exalted Jesus will draw all people to himself. Now, notice that Jesus uses the phrase, when I am lifted up from the earth. Now, this phrase has the obvious meaning of exaltation. When you lift up someone high, you exalt him, you glorify him. So, the obvious reference is to Jesus being glorified. But John wants us to know that it also refers to the kind of death Jesus would suffer. And so Jesus, uh, John tells us that Jesus would die on the cross. And so <clears throat> we are to be reminded that it is through his death and his death on the cross that Jesus has been exalted and that Jesus has been enthroned. And as the forever king, the resurrected Jesus will draw all people people of every tribe, people of every nation, people of every language. He will draw all people to himself. Now this has implication for us today. We want the church to grow. And how do we make the church grow? Well, we may use entertaining services to draw people into church. Or we may use music to attract them. Or we may use motivational talks to attract seekers. Well, all this may swell the church with people, but they will not draw people to Jesus. Only the preaching of Christ crucified, only the 
preaching of Christ glorified will we draw people to be committed to Jesus. Now, it will be tragic when we draw a great number of people to church and they remain unsaved. So to avoid this tragedy, we must keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to others, but also to ourselves. Because only through the gospel of Jesus Christ will our lives be changed. And when the gospel takes root in our lives, we will be a people marked by sacrificial living. We will be a people marked by holy living to the glory of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us be a church that keeps preaching Christ crucified and Christ glorified. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your Son who came to give his life to save us from sin and death. And we delight in his exaltation as King of our lives. Help us to serve him faithfully and joyfully. And may our sacrificial and holy living be a blessing to many people so that they too may be drawn to Jesus as King of their lives. We pray this in his name. Amen.